So it's really good to be with you all today. I wanted to take a moment just to share a little bit about the ministry of LTI. Many of you all are familiar, um, if you've been with us for a while, that you know we offer soul care retreats. We, um, uh, we have workshops on topics like spiritual discernment or on the Enneagram. That's probably the one that has uh, gained the most attendance in recent years. Um, but I wanted to tell, share a little bit of uh, why uh, I got involved with LTI. And just to begin with, maybe I want to show uh, this picture. Um, how many of you guys, do any of you recognize this advertisement? So, okay, just a few of you. I think, I think it kind of shows our age. But when I was growing up as a kid and watching Saturday morning cartoons, I would always get interrupted with this advertisement that I could never get out of my head. There's this guy that uh, was speaking for the hair club. And, um, and then his famous last words in this advertisement, I'm not only the hair club president, I, I, but I'm also a client. Um, so kind of cheesy intro, but in a way, very appropriate. The reason why I got connected with the Ministry of Leadership Transformations is because not because Leadership Transformations is about helping uh, with hair loss, uh, but they are really, their mission is about... The care, about the spiritual formation of Christian leaders. They are all about, we are all about caring for the souls of leaders. And, um, and it came to me during a time when I didn't realize how that there was such a thing as care of my soul. Um, I started out in ministry very, very early. So after graduating from college, Cindy and I got married and then within a year, we were, we were overseas on the mission field for a few years. Then we came back. We were part of a church planting uh, of a church plant, started getting involved in ministry. I was worship leading. And so I, ha- I wore a lot, of, a lot of hats, right, spiritual, uh, spiritual leader, pastor, minister, worship leader, blah, dot, dot, dot. And um, what I didn't realize, uh, because of... I was blinded by ministry successes, and I was blinded by fruitfulness and, like, reputation. I didn't realize what an unhealthy leader I was and that I was the trajectory that I was headed on. And the Lord graciously moved into my life to bring about much-needed transformation. And I'd say, if I could oversimplify it in a way, he brought that transformation through two things. The first was that he brought suffering into my life, painful disorientation, right? There started to become breakdown, breakdown physically, uh, emotionally, relationally, um, uh, mentally, right? Just things that used to work stopped working, right? And, um, and as this painful orientation was happening, I started to realize that I can no longer find a sense of identity or security in what I formerly did. God brought about painful circumstances to help shed me of this false identity and this false sense of security and success and reputation and competence and, you know, et cetera, giftedness. And so what a good grace, but it sure did not feel good. The second gift that God gave me for my healing and transformation journey was the companionship of wise and loving friends. And that's where leadership transformations comes in. So when I was in seminary, I was required to, take, to attend a soul care retreat. Uh, 
and it was led by Leadership Transformations. And that was my first experience of a soul care retreat. And as Steve was beginning to just give a compelling plea to leaders, to seminary students, to seminary faculty, make the care of your soul the highest, the top, your top ministry priority. Not the first thing that gets discarded in the name of caring for others. It just hit so hard. And then I signed up for spiritual direction session with Steve. And for 45 minutes, I just bared my soul. And I shared with him the content of what was, was going on in my, in my heart, my, my raw brokenness. And Steve just listened. He offered very few words. And I remember at the end of our session feeling more understood, feeling heard. And here's the strange part is that I felt loved by Steve. And so this, if I were to just, like, again, to oversimplify what the Ministry of Leadership Transformations is about, is that Leadership Transformations creates space for leaders to listen to God. I mean, that's probably a real simple way to put it. And that's what the retreat was about. That's what the spiritual direction, the one-on-one session was about. I was given hospitable space to listen to God. And again and again and again, this ministry kept inviting me to listen to God. And I began to hear God affirm again and again and again that I am not those things. I am not the labels the minister, the church planter, the worship leader, etc. No, I am a beloved child of God's. I am his son, dearly loved. That's all. So that's what we do. And that's, I can only give you a little bit right now. I've given a limited time. But if you would like to hear more about leadership transformations, please come tonight. Uh, even if you have an RSVP, you are welcome to come. And this is whether you are feeling a sense of invitation to be on the receiving end of space, hospitable, wide-open space to be with God, or whether you're feeling the nudge or, or of the, the Spirit to come and come alongside and to partner with us. There's a lot of ways you can also partner with us so that we can, so that we can go forth in, creating, in serving the Lord's servants in the, in the unique ways that God has called us. So I'm going to introduce Steve now to come and speak. And last week, if you're with us, I gave a kind of like my last letter of encouragement to access. And I kind of took some of my cues from the, the Paul's letters to, to Timothy. Right? And um, today, I'm happy to invite to you my Paul. So uh, Steve has been, for me, that's that wise guide, that counselor, the spiritual director that's helped me navigate this, the, the Christian journey. There are some people who know how to talk about the love of God. They can talk a really good game. And then there are some people who, who know the love of God. And when you're just around them, that love is experienced. Steve is the latter. He can also do a pretty good job at teaching about love but he is the latter so steve would you come up and um i I would love to pray for you um and that and pray for us as we uh, listen to what the spirit of god may have for us today father god thank you so much that at the right time 
Lord, you bring faithful, loving, and wise companions along our journey's path so that we may hear you and listen to you more clearly than we could on our own. I thank you for Steve and for who he has been in my journey. And I pray now, Lord, in the name of Jesus and by the power of your spirit that resides within him, you would empower him to boldly speak what you have given him to speak and give us ears to hear what you want to say. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much, David. I'm not sure about the hair club for men thing. <laughs> uh, did anyone get that number down? Because I, 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 I think I need that number. Um, and if this is any indication, David, after working with LTI, yours may fall out too. So, <laughs> oh, aging, I hate it. It's really not, th- not a good thing. Anyway, <clears throat> I had a friend say to me, if you're going to age well, it's going to be that you're going to own your limitations. Well, here's a limitation right here. I used to have a nice, full, thick head of hair. <laughs> uh, it's good to be here. Uh, it's great to be last night with um, uh, Houston Welcomes Refugees. What a great ministry, and to see Cindy and her element and then to be back here at Access. Um, Ted, great to see you as always. Kudos to your pastor who has the biggest kingdom heart I think I've ever seen before uh, to welcome LTI into your space, into your rhythm, into your ministry life has been a real gift to us. So over the past eight years, it's been, it's been incredible. I can't believe it's been that many years. So. Um, and to be in this new space with all of you, it's beautiful, and I just commend you for your faithfulness, faithfulness to the call of God on your shared life and ministry. So praise be to our great and awesome God. I'd like to pray, and then I would like to dive into um, an important topic for all of us to consider. Father, thank you. Thank you for extending your grace, your love, and your mercy to us. And thank you that you do so extravagantly. There's nothing stingy about you, God. You are a generous and awesome lover of our souls. And we can barely comprehend what that truly means. So give us a glimpse this morning into your extravagant love. And help us, help us, Lord, as your children, your dearly loved children, help us to receive your gifts to us today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd like you to think back in your life, your own personal journey for a moment. And I'd like you to consider when was it, when was it that you first experienced forgiveness? When was it? 
Can you recall anything, any recollection of the first time you remember experiencing true forgiveness? I was considering that question for myself even as I was preparing for our time together this morning, and I I remembered back to my childhood. I was probably eight, nine, or ten years old, and I was playing with my best friend, Jimmy. And Jimmy lived at nine Myopia Road. I lived at six Myopia Road. So we lived diagonally across from each other, and we played together every day. I don't remember a childhood day without my buddy Jimmy. And we got into all sorts of antics together, as most kids would do. And we lived in a street that was not very busy, so we could do a lot of games on the street. Well, one, on, one particular day, the, the rest of the kids in the neighborhood weren't around. It was just Jimmy and me. And we got into a game of just throwing a ball across the street and making sure that it made it all the way across the street. And then we'd catch it and throw it back. And that grew into throwing other things across the street. <laughs> Sticks and anything that we could find along the edge of the, of the driveway area, we could just throw them across each other. And we tried to catch them until they got too big or too heavy or too hard. And we started throwing stones and trying to, trying to catch the stones from each other. And the stones started getting bigger as we started throwing. And I remember having a big one in my hand, and I threw it across, and I didn't even know my own strength, and it hit the back windshield of Jimmy's father's car. And this was in the 60s. This is a long time before you were born. <clears throat> and cars were big back then. They were big things. And when I saw my rock end up in the back windshield of Jimmy's father's car, I can see it as if it was yesterday. I panicked. A million pieces of glass scattered and landed in the back seat of Jimmy's father's car. We immediately both ran to our respective homes. (laughs) He ran to his, I ran to mine. I ran up to the bedroom that I was, we just lived in a small little Cape style house. And I remember running up the stairs, running into my room because my my bedroom was on the left hand side, my sisters were on the right. And I found a corner and I just hovered in a corner, shaking, shaking. And then I heard the doorbell ring. And I heard my mother go to the door. And I heard Mr. Pignato, Jimmy's father's voice, and I was cowering in the corner of my little bedroom upstairs, and my mother let him in. My mother not only let let him in, my mother let him walk up the stairs. My mother let him walk into my room, and he came down. He saw this little child cowering in the corner, and he bent down, and he said to me, as if it was yesterday, accidents happen to everybody. I don't want you to worry about what you just did. And he forgave me. It was powerful. It was powerful. It sends shivers down my spine just even thinking of this story, this incident. And all of a sudden, I was able to look him in the eye because I couldn't look him in the eye. I knew he was just going to come and be angry or frustrated or whatever Tell me how much it's going to cost to repair the window. And instead, he leant down and just said, I forgive you. Don't worry. Don't worry. 
Have you ever had an experience like that? Any kind of experience that a person comes to you and says, I forgive you, don't worry about it. I have no idea when and how he fixed that car. I don't even think I went outside for days. I was just mortified by what I had done. But Jimmy's father came to my side to offer forgiveness. Set free. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Set free by the grace and mercy of God. You bet. You bet. But how often do we set each other free? How often do we set each other free to, by reminding each other of the freeness and the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy and the love of God? How, how often? When's the last time you offered an extension of forgiveness to another? Or when's the last time you actually said, I'm sorry for something? I've only been in Houston less than 24 hours, and I've already had to apologize once to someone who's in this room, and it's not a Cindy or David. How bad is that? How aware are you today of your own need for forgiveness? And how aware are you today for your own need to offer it in the name of Jesus? Because Jesus sets us free by his forgiveness and his grace. The story I want us to look at is a very simple story. It's a profound story. And it comes out of the Gospels, Gospel of Luke, in fact, and it's a, in chapter 7, beginning with verse 36, if you have your Bibles, otherwise I'm going to read it to you or for you. It's a powerful story. It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of mercy and grace. It's a story of love, extravagant love. It's a story of what is, I would consider, to be the most important parts of what it means to be a Christ follower today. What does it mean to love one another? What does it mean to forgive one another? What does it mean to offer extended grace to one another? Friends, today in the Christian church, we're not very good at that. We'd rather punish each other. We'd rather shame each other. We'd rather put each other down. We'd rather, we'd rather put each other in their place than to freely, generously extend a word of grace. Verse 36, Luke chapter 7, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him, what kind of woman this is, that she is a sinner. Emphasis mine. Jesus said to him, Jesus answered him, in fact, Interestingly, there was no interaction. Guy, one guy is thinking something. Jesus knows him so well. Says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Jesus said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. 
You have judged correctly, Jesus said. But then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Important question. I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. But she, since the time I entered, has wet her feet with my tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. And you didn't put oil in my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. If you have your own Bible, underline that one. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, "Who, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, this simple little story is the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Capture the understanding of this story in your heart, and you you will understand the gospel. Miss and overly uh, interpret this. Try to be the know-it-all, like the Pharisee, and you'll miss the gospel, the essence of the gospel. When you think about all the gospels, all the gospel stories, and those who came in contact with Jesus from the crowds to the most intimate of people, the ones who knew Jesus best were the ones who were willing to be open and honest and transparent about their sinfulness and about their desperate need for Jesus, for God. So from the crowds to the leaders, the Pharisees, for example, this particular host is Simon the Pharisee. He didn't didn't want Jesus to come to his house for the dinner party because he liked Jesus. No, he came to, he invited Jesus or let Jesus into his house for the dinner party because he wanted to corner Jesus, because he was a religious leader. He was a know-it-all. In that day, he had an MDiv times 10. He was a Pharisee, and he had all the rules and regulations about how we do life. And Jesus came in and totally upset the whole thing. So Simon has this little dinner party, and this woman shows up. Instead of with the customary casserole to sort of grace the table, she walks in with an alabaster jar of perfume, probably the most expensive thing that she owned, probably because she's a sinful woman, and probably because... Someone paid her with that in order to get something out of her or from her. We know her as a sinful woman, therefore many interpreters would say that she was a prostitute. She sold herself on the streets and people paid her for her services, most likely with things like an alabaster jar of perfume. So she brought the most expensive thing she had and she pours it out on Jesus. She brought the fullness of herself and laid it at the feet of Jesus. Dramatic. Dramatic. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being in that, in that story? Jump into that story for a moment. Who are you? Are you Simon the Pharisee, the know-it-all, the, re- the religious leader, 
who's Judgy McJudge Judge to everybody around you, and nobody else can measure up to your godliness or your understanding of God or your religiosity or your know-how or your judgmental spirit. You see, in our day and age, unfortunately, we are a bunch of Judgy McJudge Judges. So my son called me as a, as a high school. That's why I know that word. He called me that because I was a Judgy McJudge Judge to him. I wasn't a lover. I was a judge. And I had all sorts of opinions about how he's supposed to live his life. I still do. He's 35 years old. You think I'd let it alone? Mm, no. Judgy, judge, judge. You know, it's in us. And, and that's what Simon was. He was a judgy McJudge judge. And so he missed out. He missed out on so much. In fact, he missed out on the fullness of the gospel. Jesus comes in and he says to Simon the know-it-all, judgy McJudge judge, you know, you didn't, even, you didn't even practice basic hospitality to me. And most likely because of this Jewish home that they were coming into, this Simon the Pharisee had, had kissed the cheek of every one of his guests, had, had washed the feet of every one of his guests, had put a little bit of oil on the forehead of every one of his guests, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. And Jesus in this story points out through a story, through another story, through a layer of another story, where he says, you know, someone who has, owes 500 and someone who owes 50 denarii, forgiven both, who loves most? And Simon answers the, the story correctly. Well, the one who has the most in it to be forgiven? And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. But in essence, what Jesus is saying is you're missing the whole story. You're missing the whole point. The woman that you can't stand in your presence is the one that actually is practicing the best hospitality today. And so what we see in this story, we see a contrast between Mr. Prideful Judgy McJudge Judge and Miss Sinful Woman who understands what it means to be set free. Because Jesus came in and saw her. Jesus knew her. Jesus knew that she threw a rock across the street and it landed in the back windshield of his car and he walked across the way and says, I forgive you. It's okay. You've been throwing your life away on the streets. You don't need to do that anymore. And Jesus forgives this woman, this woman of great intimacy with Jesus. Friends, why was there intimacy? There was intimacy because there was brokenness, not pridefulness. Mr. Judgy McJudge Judge Simon the Pharisee missed out completely. Why? Because of his pride. He was so prideful. He was just so full of himself. He couldn't even practice basic hospitality to every single one of his guests. Not only did he not practice hospitality to Jesus, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he did not practice hospitality to that woman. Basic hospitality. Why? Because Judgy McJudge Judge did not want to see the woman for who she really was. And who she really was was not the sinner. Who she was and is, is a woman, a child of God. One who he came to set free. One who he came to extravagantly love. One who he came to offer grace and forgiveness to a lavish gift, a free gift, 
a generous gift. But good old Pharisee, Mr. Pride, that happens to look a lot like me, frankly, maybe not like you, but a lot like me. I hate it when I have to look at my pride in the mirror. It's worse than the hair club thing. Because hair is one thing. A prideful heart is another. And when I look at the mirror and I see a prideful man, I'm kind of disgusted by it. But I don't have to stay there and remain shamefully disgusted at who I am because I've been set free. And I can put a smile on my face and look in the mirror with a wink in my eye and know that I am dearly, dearly loved by the God of the universe who comes to set me free. And I don't have to live in shame any longer. I can live in the freedom and joy of what it means to be known by God like that woman was known by God. Nancy Lee DeMoss writes on pride and brokenness. And she says, you know, the proud person focuses on the failures of others. The broken person is overwhelmed by their own set of needs. A a proud person has a critical fault-finding spirit. A a broken person is compassionate, forgiving. A a prideful person looks down on others. A A broken person esteems others better than yourself. A, a, proud, a proud person needs to be in control. A, a broken person surrenders control. A proud person has to be right. A broken person is will, willing to yield the right to be right. A, a proud person has a hard time admitting when they're wrong. A, a broken person is quick to admit failure. Brokenness. Seeking the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of God. I've been reading the past week or two this little book on humility by Andrew Murray. If you want to have your inner world rocked, read this book. 1828, South African, amazing God-honoring leader. He writes, There is so little of the meek and lowly Lamb of God in those who are called by his name today. 1828. Let us consider how our lack of love, our indifference to the needs and feelings of others, even sharp comments and hasty judgments that are often excused as being honest and straightforward. Should I read that again? Even sharp comments, hasty judgments that are often excused as being honest and straightforward are thwarting the effect of the influence of the Holy Spirit on others. Manifestations of temper and touchiness and irritation, feelings of bitterness and estrangement, have their root in nothing but pride. Pride creeps in almost everywhere, and the assemblies of the saints are no exceptions. Let's ask ourselves, what would be the effect if all of us all of us, were guided by the humility of Jesus. That the cry of our whole heart, day and night, would be, oh, for the humility of Jesus in myself and all around me. Could that be your breath prayer? Could that be your breath prayer, friends? I need this 
Oh, for the humility of Jesus and myself and all around me. Then he writes, let us honestly fix our heart on our lack of humility. That which has been revealed in the likeness of Christ's life and the whole character of his, of his redemption and realize how little we know of Christ and his salvation. How little we know. What a funny word. Little. It's in this passage. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Friends, let's put our ear as close to this passage as we possibly can. When you put your ear as close to the passage as possible, what do you hear from the lips of the woman through the actions of her? Of her? Not the words, because we don't have words from her, but we have her actions. She brought the most expensive part of herself and poured it out on Jesus' feet because she was known and loved and forgiven. She is, in pouring out herself at the feet of Jesus, she is expressing incredible gratitude. Right? Do you hear that? When you put your ear as close to the passage as possible? Do you hear anything that smacks of thank you? I do. I hear it loud and clear. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This woman is overwhelmed with gratitude to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for knowing me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for gracing me with your presence. Thank you for setting me free and giving me the gift of salvation in a wide open space. I hear gratitude. Secondly, I hear grace. When I put my ear as close to that passage as possible, I hear her pouring out her heart saying, please forgive me. Please forgive me. And I hear Jesus gently and graciously offering her forgiveness. The third thing I hear is when I put my ear as close to this passage as possible is I hear love. I hear generosity of love. Jesus has generously lavished love upon this broken person. And through her receptivity of the generous love of Jesus, she generously gives herself back to Jesus. And you know when she walks out of that room, she is a changed person. She is no longer selling herself. She is sold out for God. And a big difference between the two. Are you so fixated on self that you're trying to trick Jesus, know him in a way that manipulates and controls your understanding and sets you up to the highest point of privilege and judgmentalism and know-it-allism? Or are you willing to be broken and bringing the fullness of yourself right to the feet of Jesus. Friends, this is a story about extravagant love from the greatest lover ever. A lover who knows. A lover who forgives. A lover who is generous. 
a lover who is grace-filled, a lover who is fully extending himself for the other and would eventually fully extend his arms on the cross for that woman, for Simon the Pharisee, the know-it-all, and for everyone present in that space because there were other guests gathered in that space. And Jesus' full and extravagant expression of love came at the, at the cross. And that's why we're set free. That is the only reason why we are set free. So today, friends, I want you to consider this passage and look at this passage in light of where you find yourself in the story. Are you Simon the know-it-all, Judgy McJudge Judge? Are you the guests who are standing on the edge, not quite sure you want to put your feet in or not? Are you wondering, questioning, uncertain about your place in the kingdom? And you're wondering, I want to encourage you, consider what the woman has done. Because the, what the woman has done has set her free. Because she has owned her story and her desire for something more. The only way we get to that freedom is through the pathway of humility. There's no other way. You can't keep your stubborn, prideful ways and end up at the feet of Jesus. It requires a little brokenness, a little repentance, a little, or maybe a lot, of what you've been holding fast to that you need to let go of. Jesus is in our midst. When we're on retreats with, with folks, we remind them that no matter what, no matter what the circumstance of your life may be, the presence and power of Jesus is resident in our midst. And you can be set free today. And that's how I'd like to pray. So if you would join me in this prayer, and if you want to simply open up your hands, or if you want to kneel at your chair, or if you want to express in some way your posture, your desire to receive fully from God today, I invite you to do so. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for this amazing story of your extravagant love. Thank you for this amazing story of a woman's brokenness and her desire to be set free. Thank you for the invitation in this story to consider for ourselves whether we forgive little or forgive much. Whether we love little or we love much. Thank you, Jesus, that in knowing you, we can not only be set free ourselves, 
but we can be set free to serve others in your name like never before. I pray that every person gathered in this morning would receive from you the fullness of your grace, your love, your mercy, your kindness, your forgiveness. And I pray that each of us in this space would humble ourselves and be washed away of all the pride that exists within us, even today. And where we need to be saying more thank yous, more please forgive me's, more I love you's, teach us, Lord, to speak that way in this new life that you invite us into today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We need your grace, O oh Lord. We love you, Lord. May that be the song of our hearts, the prayer of our hearts, the earnestness of our hearts, today and in the coming days. Transform us from the inside out and make us new in Christ, even today. In the strong name of Jesus, we